My granddaughter, who um, recently turned 18 years old, is a senior in high school this year, and she is off to college um, this fall, and she's going to a school where she will be playing soccer in the fall. And she's been a soccer player for a long time. And the other day, in conversation with her, she was sharing with me that she's really excited about going to school in the fall and starting on this new team because it will be a completely fresh start. There won't be any old perceptions from teammates or coaches about what she can or cannot do. She has played with the same group of girls for a very long time. And so, as you can imagine, there are opinions and perceptions within that group about what each player can do. And so she's ready to get away from all of that because she has found that over the years as she's played with these same players, that there have been times because she came up under some of these older girls that she has deferred to those older players and perhaps not always played as strongly as she might have if she hadn't known them. So she's ready for new activity, a new move forward. And the truth is that that pattern in her soccer playing over the last few years has been a real struggle for her. The struggle for her is the same as the struggle for each of us. We want to learn to go forward, not to go backward. We want to give up on old habits and old patterns of behavior and engage in new patterns. Now, I've entitled today's lesson, The Struggle is Real. And that's probably a phrase that a lot of you have seen on a t-shirt, in a meme, on a post somewhere, on Facebook or Instagram. And I had um, this perfect little visual of the struggle is real, but since we got snowed in, and since some of you are obviously listening to this rather than seeing me in person, I'm going to describe this little picture to you. So this is a little picture of a little French bulldog, and he is laid out on what appears to be like a dock or a boardwalk, and he is just flat out on this surface. His little legs are tucked to his sides. His face is flat down on the ground, and above him it says, the struggle is real. Now, when I saw that picture, I thought this is the perfect vision of how I feel some days about just getting through life and about this whole struggle that we're always in of doing what we think the Lord would want us to do versus sometimes what we are tempted and more prone to do. And that is the whole concept of Romans 7. So today what we're going to hear about and what we're going to discuss are two key things. One is how we understand today the law and how it relates to us in the year 2022. And then we're going to talk about understanding life in the spirit. There's no question that in this chapter, Paul very vulnerably says, this struggle is real in my own life. Um, I want to do certain things that I don't do. I do other things that I don't want to do, and so we're going to get into all of that as we go along today. But as we start off, um, I hope as you're listening right now, you can just pause for a minute. If you're taking notes, sit your pens down 
and just listen to these words, which are verses 4 to 7 from this chapter. And as I speak these, just let this soak in, because this is the essence of what chapter 7 is all about. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation as I read these verses to you. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit." So in those passages, in that passage, what you see is this movement in the words. You see it especially in that, in verse 6, the last one that I spoke, where Paul says, we are no longer engaged in obeying the letter of the law, but we are living in the new way of the Spirit. You see, that's the solution when we're thinking about the fact that the struggle is real. So as we go through this chapter, I want you to just keep that thought in your mind. Remember that you have been released from the law and from its power to encourage you to sin. Now you live a whole new way. You live in the spirit. You are focused on obedience to God, obedience to Jesus Christ, but the motivation behind it is love and gratitude toward him. So let's dive into this first issue. How do we understand the law today? How does it relate to you and me right now? And let's start where Paul starts, with this illustration of marriage that is in verses 1 through 3. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example... When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of the marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So what Paul is saying here is that there's a legal relationship in marriage, but it is only binding as long as both people involved are alive. When this woman is widowed, she is released from the responsibilities of her marriage. She's free to marry again. So in this illustration, the widow is us as believers. Her first husband was the Mosaic Law. Now, when I say the words Mosaic Law, um, I think it's easy for us in this current time to think, man, you know, that law was given thousands of years ago, and that was a lot of old stuff. So how in the world 
does all of that remain pertinent to me today? But the truth is, if we go back to the Mosaic Law, if we go back to the Ten Commandments and the principles and the guides that God gave along with those, what we see is that they are still the very principles and rules that guide our lives today. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't lie to each other. Don't commit adultery and be unfaithful to your spouse. Don't worship other gods that are going to lead you astray. And now you see, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, our relationship to that law is no longer binding. We are released in this illustration from our old husband, the law. Now where we are, because we have come to know Jesus Christ, is we are the bride of Christ. We are free in him. So when verse 6 says what we've already mentioned, that we now serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but we do it in the new way of living in the spirit. Paul is saying that grace has been revealed, that it has come to our rescue. We live a new kind of life. We live in the realm of the spirit. Just last week in Chris's sermon from Ephesians 1, he talked about this very thing, that every one of us as believers are sealed with a deposit that is the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's take this a little bit further in regard to the law. It's important for us to remember that God gave the law for two reasons. In verses 7 through 12, there's a pretty clear picture here. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not, Paul says. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. Now, in those few verses, what we see are the two reasons that the law existed. The first one is because the law exposed specific sins that were part of our lives. The, the law confronts us with our sin so that when we realize what we're doing that we ought not to be doing, what we realize is how desperate we are for the Lord Jesus Christ so we come to him in faith and repentance. And the second thing that it does, now make sure you're listening carefully. First we said it exposes our specific sins. But the second thing that the law does is it exposes our sinfulness. Meaning 
that it rouses in us an understanding of our rebellious hearts. It demonstrates that we are unable to help ourselves with just this nature that is part of us, that leads us into a place of sin and temptation. It proves to us that we have a tremendous need for God to change our hearts. In the next couple of verses, it says this, but how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death so that we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Now, this rebellious nature in each of us has a name, and Paul often refers to it as the flesh, and it's referred to that way in other places in Scripture. It represents how we lived in a fallen state. We had not been exposed to grace. But as grace is revealed to us through Jesus Christ, our nature changes. Our nature changes but because we have been given the Holy Spirit. And so instead of trying to live our lives based on all the detailed rules, we have the Spirit living through us. So there really is no reason for us to think negatively about the law. It is good for its intended purpose. It exposes our sin and our sinful nature. Verse 14, Paul tells us the law is spiritual, that it is good. It is God's tool to show us what we need to know. Think of it this way. Since the invention of the MRI, doctors are able to go way beyond the basic tests of the past. So what we learn as a result of our doctors learning it is all kinds of very detailed information about what is going on in our bodies. A trained eye reading an MRI can tell us what the problem is long before any symptoms show up in our lives. All kinds of sicknesses, not the least of which is cancer, are readily diagnosed and treated through the use of an MRI, this tool. This is what the law does for us. It shows us in detail the nature of our internal sin problem. It's like Paul is saying, I didn't know I was dying from the sin of disease until the law revealed my terminal condition. By pointing out my problem, the law demonstrated how desperate I was. The law is God's diagnostic tool. It exposes the disease of sin and it confronts us with our prognosis. Our disease would be deadly if not treated, but, but because of God's plan, it is completely curable through Jesus Christ. Does the law cause death? No more than the MRI causes cancer. Now, our second objective today is to understand what it means to live in the spirit. So, here we go. Before we believe, our flesh serves sin. But once we receive God's grace through faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. And this is when that phrase, 
the struggle is real, begins to be apparent to us. Because our flesh has this longing to continue to sin, but the spirit within us is leading us toward righteousness. This is what leads Paul to say in verses 15 and 16, I don't understand myself. For what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, but it is sin living in me. Now, Paul has a really vulnerable and honest moment here in chapter 7. He's describing how real the struggle is for him personally. He's saying, when I received a new nature, I know I have it. I know the spirit lives in me, yet my flesh still seems to have a mind of its own. Same thing for us. Our new spirit-filled nature wants nothing more than to behave as Jesus does. Meanwhile, that stinky old flesh nature that we've still got wants life to continue as it was. So those two natures live in conflict. The struggle is real. So this is what's going on in your life or in mine when these kinds of things happen. It's what's going on when we really want to stop arguing with our spouse or our sibling or our child, but we just can't give in and let them win. It's what's going on when we really don't want to be irritated drivers, but come on, the guy just cut me off. It's what's happening when we really don't want to keep binging on worthless, tasteless TV, but it's just so easy to check out. It's what's going on when we really don't want to be lazy about reading God's word, but there are just so many other things to do. Our list of these examples could go on and on. And what is all that? That's our old nature. That's the struggle. But the good news is that the spirit that now lives within each of us is the voice and the encouragement that we hear inside us saying, come on, back off on that argument. Have a little grace and patience. Or the voice that says, you know, turn off that TV. This is a waste of time. Go ahead and pick up that Bible. In verse 24, at the end of the chapter, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Now, that's a question we can get behind. Because how often do we think to ourselves, man, I am such a mess. I don't want to do this, but I keep feeling like I want to. But you know what? This is a chapter of victory. Because in verse 25, Paul goes on to say, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in verse 26, he concludes with, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. 
Now, at the end of that verse right there, what I can tell you is that's a really bad place to break this chapter. And this happens every now and then in Scripture. Because chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, says this. So, there, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So keep reading there for just a minute and get ready next week for Kristen to lead us into a deeper discussion of chapter 8. So as we finish up, let me just give you three very practical things that I think each one of us can do on a day-to-day basis that will help us to continue to keep our minds around this concept of what is our relationship to the law and what does it mean that I now have the Spirit living within me. First of all, recognize and remind yourself that your relationship with the law has changed. It's been severed. We have a new rule of life, the Holy Spirit. Remember when in John 17, Jesus said to his disciples and to all of us that it would be better when he left and the Holy Spirit came. And why was that? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. He is the one who lives in us, teaches us, shows us the way. The second thing is, remember and remind yourself of the fact that God never demanded perfection. He did not save you by grace and then tell you to go make yourself worthy by your own labors. He has done it all. The act of forgiveness and salvation is complete through the grace of Jesus Christ. Remember that next verse in chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, the third thing is focus on this. Focus on knowing Jesus more personally and with ever-deepening intimacy. Pray, read scripture, study, learn his mind. Serve those who need your help and your love. Learn about his transforming work in your life and in the lives of others. And keep diving next week into chapter 8. Like Lisa said in last week's review, ask God to make you ravenous for his word. Your hunger will be satisfied as you learn all that the Spirit will do in your life. Let's pray as we close. Almighty God, we thank you. We can't adequately exclaim our thanks for the gift of your son who died, was buried, and was raised in power to forgive our sin and assure our victorious resurrection. Thank you for the gift of your spirit who leads and empowers us to discern and follow your will and conforms us to the character of your son. We yield our will. We yield our wills to your gracious gifts so that you may have your way in our lives.
And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.